what is the impact of workplace toxicity? Hey, Summit Chasers, welcome to another episode of Voices of Impact, the podcast where you learn strategies to amplify your influence and impact. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Chrissy Barron, who has an impressive 11-year career in marketing, even working as a vice president of marketing for a $350 million company. But she quickly realized her dream job wasn't everything she thought it would be. Chrissy talks about how she essentially blew up her life and left a toxic work environment to enter into a life of simplicity far from societal norms. Chrissy's story is a powerful reminder of the importance of self-worth, the art of setting boundaries, and the freedom that comes with living true to oneself instead of for the expectations of others. So quickly, grab a cup of tea and some biscuits because it starts right now. Hi, Chrissy. So happy to have you here today with me on Voices of Impact. How are you? I'm good. I have been looking forward to this conversation all week. Um, I brushed my hair for you. So like, this is going to be great. I love it. Your hair looks amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So starting off, you have done and achieved so, so much. And I really want to talk through your journey, where you started and that path that kind of led you to where you are today. So kick us off. Yeah. So I started my career in marketing. I actually worked for a pharmaceutical company. I've been in marketing for 13 years. And I remember actually I was in this job and I told my, my dad, I said, Hey, you know, I want to I want to do outside sales instead of this marketing job. And he said, okay, you just have to work five years and then you become, you can become a manager in that job. And I said, ah, that's just, that doesn't sit well for me. (laughs) And so I left, uh, maybe at the, at the exact year mark and ended up taking a step up in the career, uh, in being a marketing manager at an agency. And honestly, a lot of my career was hopping to the next position and the next title and so I worked for about four years, and then I had an opportunity to open my own direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. I scaled that to seven figures, and it was acquired. I then left to go run a marketing agency outside of – it was actually based in Australia, and I scaled to the U.S. side of the business. And then I was pitched to go in-house for – a very large um, direct-to-consumer e-commerce cookware company. And then I have been freelancing ever since. And I pretty much act as a fractional CMO for mainly I, I work with direct-to-consumer e-commerce businesses because that's my that's my passion and my love. So that's kind of my 13 years of um, work history. And you made it up to that sweet C-suite level. Every time I try to say C-suite, it comes out just it's so hard. <laughs> You made it up to that C-suite level though, right? Yeah. So I was the vice president of marketing for a company when I was there. It was $200 million, And I managed over a million dollars in ad spend a month. It was fun to manage that much money. Um, and it was an experience. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that experience a little bit. What were some of the things um, when you were in that role? that I guess led you to making the decision that you made to kind of change everything. Yeah. We're definitely teasing um, me blowing my life up. So let's just caveat (laughs) it there with you and I know the answer. I blew my life up, but a quick 
background is, um, so my dad is a CFO and, um, you know, I'm sure there's dads out there that like throw balls with their kids and do that stuff. Like I was raised to be a business person. This man had me typing in formulas in Excel at age nine. You know, he was talking to me about stocks and bonds and things that I just kind of figured out, Hey, in order to have a conversation with my dad, I have to level up. And so I was very in tune with business and economics and all of that at a very young age. And when I had Barbies, I played business Barbie. I didn't take my Barbies and marry them and make them kiss. I made them sit down and I would lecture them. And that was what was fun for me. Okay. You know, we can, we can dissect that. We can analyze that later, right. but I loved to play boss. I loved to play powerful. And I then went on into college and I found marketing and I focused on psychology. I have a master's degree in psychology and I fell in love with marketing. And so I said, okay, my job, my, my goal is to be CMO, which is chief marketing officer of a fortune 500. And that's what I'm going to work towards. So I went director of marketing to head of US marketing to vice president of marketing. And that was kind of on my track. The next step was ideally chief marketing officer based on the size of the company. That's always the caveat. And so I got this job as vice president of marketing. It was my dream job. I walked into my dream job and they built me a gym in the back of the office. That was part of my signing bonus. Yes. That's a mini amazing. style CrossFit gym. Yes. Um, they built me an office. It was like a corner office. And I was like, okay, I made it. So then I bought a house. I bought a house in Los Angeles, which was six miles from that office, five, a little under five miles. Um, and then my entire world came crashing down when that job ended up being the most toxic, misogynistic place I had ever walked into. Yeah, that is wild. And I can't imagine the feeling of I've done it. I achieved my goal that I set out for. This is everything I've ever wanted. Everything that you've been practicing for since you were nine years old with your Barbies. And then to get there and just have it not at all be what you thought it was. What were, um, first, actually, I want to touch on the side with your dad. When you hit that goal and became VP, what was your dad's reaction to that? He was really proud. So I come from a family that is really externally motivated, which is something that I had to figure out on my own. So we talk about money. We compare titles. We compare everything. And it, it's a lot of pressure um, because going home, I mean, my dad used to interview me like Shark Tank. He would make me stand in front of him and pitch him anything that I wanted. And then he would decide if my argument was good enough, which, yes, of course, that's an amazing skill. I can literally talk to a wall now. That's, you know, we can check that box off my list. Um, and so, 
He was proud, but that also was incredibly conflicting for me because I felt like, wow, I finally got the validation of my dad, someone who I look up to so much in a business perspective. And this job is horrible. I cry every day. I literally throw up before work sometimes and I can't tell him. So I didn't tell him. I kept the the effects of that traumatic workplace to myself. And I just kind of pushed them down inside myself and spoke to myself in a way. It was very, you know, masculine energy. It was like, don't complain, don't say anything, don't speak up, push it down and keep going. And unfortunately it, it got to the point where it kind of just all exploded and came out. And I went to their house one weekend and I just started crying. And I told them everything that happened to me and they you know, my dad said, I'm really sorry that you felt the need to stay in that workplace, if that was the case, to please me, because I would never want that. And I think if we take my dad out of if we take my dad out of that equation, it's just external validation. So right. me saying to other people in really toxic jobs, right? It's like, hey, wow, I'm really sorry that you felt like if you left that job, people would judge you. Because the right people won't judge you. The right people will seek to understand, not seek to assume. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that is a great point. It was, he was really proud. And then I think now he's proud of me for speaking up. Yeah. I love that. That's such a beautiful thing that your dad was, when you did finally bring it to him, that he immediately was just there for you as a father should be. He didn't, he wasn't upset that you were leaving this job and struggling with it. He was, he was upset that you felt the need to stay there because of that external validation. And I think that's really beautiful um, and amazing that he's proud of you for speaking up and standing up for what you believe in too. So when you were in that position, what was some of the toxicity that you experienced that led it to all kind of blowing up? Yeah. So the challenging thing with toxicity is a lot of it is intangible. So although I'm sure you and I have both been in situations where you can feel the tension in the room, trying to explain that to someone that doesn't feel the tension in the room or isn't in the room is incredibly challenging even to get the validation, right? You could tell the same story to five people and three of those people could say, but people are dying. But I mean, there's worse things happening in the world and they're not going to give you that validation. They're going to just compare losses. So I was in this workplace. I was the vice president of marketing. I was making the most money I'd ever made and I bought a house. So man, did I feel locked in. I basically just checked that box into how America talks to us about, Hey, you need to work really hard to get a good job. But if you have a good job, let's make sure you owe us some debt. So go ahead and buy that house because successful people buy houses. And then, Oh, you can't quit because you have a mortgage, silly. And man, I freaking just jumped right through that rabbit hole. And I have a different perspective on it now. Um, but some of the examples is that my direct boss, him and I butted heads pretty bad. Um, you know, he is, I think 20 years older than me, all, all the C-suites were 20 years older than me and they were all best, they were all best friends. They all grew up together and it was a boys club and I did not fit in the boys club. One being that I don't want to fit in the boys club, two being that I'm part of the LGBTQ community. So boys clubs never really feel safe for me. 
And three was just witnessing the way that they treated other people. I forget the saying, but it's essentially about how you can tell the character of someone based on how they treat someone that does not have anything to give them, right? So, you know, we can say a janitor or a server or something like that. And if I was going to create an analogy, these men treated those people horribly and I witnessed it all. And the energy that I have in this life is to love everyone. I love everyone. I want to give everyone a leg up. We had a 401k um, plan rolling out and I went to the head of our warehouse. We had a bunch of warehouse workers, probably 50 of them. And I said, Hey, I would love to give a free education to all of the workers because I want them to, you know, they were matching 4%. And I'm like, I want to talk to them and I want to teach them what this means and how they can do that. I think that financial education is an oppressed system and we keep people down by making it complicated. And, you know, just things like that. Like that's, that's the person I am. I want to love everyone and give everyone everything I have. And granted, I, you know, probably should create more boundaries and I'm working on that. But I was sitting in my office one day. Um, it was like 8.30 in the morning. I get there before everyone else, which is at 8 a.m. I'm not being dramatic. I'm not saying I got there at 5. Okay. I get there at 8. And my my boss, this was less than three months into me working there. My boss used to like purposely throw my door open. I don't know if it was just cause like to throw me into the fight or flight, but you know, when anyone slams your door, you're like, oh gosh. Yeah. And he walks in, he says, why are a number shit? And I just want to caveat something. Okay. If anyone does marketing, we know that major- majority of the time we're not looking at a day-to-day number. I mean, unless we're testing a specific creative, testing a specific ad, testing a specific something against the best converting audience that we expect to see at daily return, we are not looking at a day-to-day perspective. So he was mad because our ROAS for one day dipped below a 3.0. And I said, hey, name, hey, I love the way that you're communicating with me. And that was just my automatic reaction, which was like, oh crap, that was maybe a little sneak, you know, a little snarky. Um, I kind of love and that he got, Yeah. And he got pissed and he threw his backpack onto my couch and he, I believe he said, answer the fucking question. And I said, okay, I have a plan in place. It takes more than 90 days to roll out. I'm less than 90 days into the position. And this is just a dip. This is a dip in a day. And he said, make it happen fucking faster. And then walked up to my dry erase board and erased everything I had written on it. And then wrote the word numbers and signed his smiley face and his initials. That is one example of how I was treated on a daily basis. I was, he would stand over me and actually yell at me, um, come into my office and do that. Outside of the fact that my body and looks were talked about probably on a weekly basis. And it's a really defeating thing because for so long, I did not dress up or dress to a way that made me feel good about my body because I feared that I would not be respected intellectually. And it sucks that I had to choose between one or the other. And so I got this job and I said, wow, this is going to be so fun. 
you know, I went shopping for work clothes and I was really excited. And then I was sexualized. Yeah. And it is so incredibly disheartening because all of my hard work, everything I did to get to that position, it made me think that, oh, okay, they they don't care. Actually, their their end goal for hiring me might not have actually been to have me work for the company. That's really interesting. And talk about feeling unsafe in an environment. I would get pulled into meetings with all three of this men and just me. And I mean, they would like stand over me. They would, I mean, they would just grill me. And to talk about, it's so funny because, you know, I talk about this on my TikTok and the comments I get are like, suck it up. You're weak. You probably sucked anyways. Um, You know, I, I mean, people just go for my throat. Uh, it seems like you are underperforming. So two things for the world. One is that I knew what I was going into when I posted this on TikTok, meaning that I was thick, I had thick enough skin and I can provide myself the validation. So I don't really care if anyone says anything. <laughs> Second is that just as a caveat, um, I was actually not underperforming. In the 11 months that I was there, I increased return on ad spend, decreased their spend, increased their website conversion rate. I I launched an SMS program where I grew the list to 80K in a month. Actually, sorry, I think it was three months we built it to 80K. So I did a lot there, a lot of good things. But at some point, those men decided that I could not I think those men decided that I wouldn't blindly trust them. So here's my opinion. If you hire me to be a subject matter expert, you better believe I'm going to bring my expertise. So I would get pulled into these meetings and they would be like, we got to run a sale. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I totally get that. I get wanting a cash injection into the business, but if we want to push our human if we want to really push and move away from a sales cycle business, which is what they had been at, where we are running a sale, where we inflate prices, run a fake sale to bring in cash, that's fine. But my belief is that we're moving away from that because it's not sustainable. At some point, people are going to get fatigue. They're going to get offer fatigue. And so I would say, hey, I don't agree with this. This is what I think we should do. I really think we should hold strong on this path, right? It's like SEO. You invest and then you freak out. <laughs> You're like, I don't see a return. What are we doing? Blah, 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 right? Poor SEO people. And it was basically just, I think when they realized that I wasn't going to be a puppet, I mean, they just lost all respect for me and treated me like dirt on the floor. And having to stand up for myself, I was 30 years old and, you know, I felt like I was 12. I felt like I was walking into, you know, that high school coach that bullied you the whole time, but everyone else loved them. And I just never knew how to please these guys. Right. And it's crazy because the other comment I got was actually got shamed for not reporting them. 
going to HR. So let's talk about HR. Uh, We didn't have an HR. We had an outsourced HR. And also in every company I've worked in, HR was not a trusted source for employees. Their goal is to make sure the employer does not get sued by employees. HR was not a safe place to turn. And then I got I got a mean comment that said, you should have gone to the board of directors. Thank you so much, random man on the internet. The board of directors was those three men, a very, very famous chef. So I was pretty much backed into a corner and I ended up quitting, which is my assumption is that that's what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to quit. And it sucked. It really did because I didn't step into my strength right after that. I went deep down the the rabbit hole. I was like, I suck. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at marketing. I actually can't do anything. I lost all of my confidence. I honestly, I, I hated myself. I felt like such a failure. Like I failed this, you know, it's like that egg game where everyone runs with the egg on the spoon, but I just broke my egg and everyone else didn't. And, and then you have the people that are asking you, well, why did you quit? That was such a, well, didn't they just sign what's his name? That's going to be huge. Why did you quit? I just saw actually a commercial on Super Bowl. Why did you quit? And it's like, you know, I couldn't really tell the, the real answer. Right. That is so much to to deal with, especially at the age of 32. And I think that it's far more common than it should be for women who are incredibly intelligent and very, very accomplished to go into these spaces and then only be seen for the way that they look. And I, I, I don't know that we are going to solve that today, but I, I think that it's something that is unfortunate that it happens and there's definitely room within the corporate world for that to change and to hopefully change quickly when you when you so when you finally made the decision that you had had it and your confidence is absolutely rocked and again I think that that's something that people go through too because when we reach that this level of achievement and whether you decide to leave a job or feel like you've almost been forced out of it or the other side of it, if you get laid off and your position's been eliminated, it can absolutely rock you because a lot of times we put our sense of worth almost into this title that we held. So when you started to kind of go down that rabbit hole of just not feeling worthy or lacking the confidence, what were some of the things that you did that allowed yourself to come out of it? That's such a great question. Um, I actually invested in marketing courses. I do not, I don't think I would suggest you guys do this. If you guys feel like dropping a lot of money, just call me and I'll say, Hey, you're really great at this. And then we can hang up the phone and you can save your money because I dropped probably three to 4k in marketing courses. Um, I took a director of marketing course through Google with the Google CMO. And I'm going to be honest, I I knew everything. I just knew everything in that class. Um, I took some courses through Coursera and um, CXL. CXL was probably the, the one I learned the most with. And I really just said, you know, I, I can't afford to be shit. I have a mortgage. And, you know, 
maybe a lot of people live for they're inspired by their kids, or I should say maybe fear management of like, Hey, I have a family to provide for this. Mm-hmm. I was just me. I was like, man, I have a mortgage. Like this is incredibly stressful. Who told me, who let me get a house? You know, <laughs> I did. Um, and so I invested in some marketing courses. Um, I, I also wasn't really surrounded by other females that were in my position. So it was hard to, now I think I would reach out for advice. Um, but I didn't have that network of people, um, to get that advice from. So if you do have those people around you, you know, sometimes we need external validation and that's totally okay. Just go to the people that are safe. And so outside of investing in the courses and, you know, finding that, that, um, group of people, I spent a lot of time actually journaling on and doing shadow work. And I don't know if you are familiar with shadow work at all. I'm not. Okay. So shadow work is this belief that we all have this shadow and it's essentially like the worst parts of ourselves. So a good example is you walk into a room and you immediately don't like it, like this girl, I'm going to say. Well, most of the time it's a projection. It's right. It's like something about me. You know, I think, oh, this girl's pretty and there's not room for both of us to be pretty in this room. I need to be the prettiest or I really like, Oh, this girl's annoying. Cause she's talking so loud. Ooh, interesting. Why do I think that? Okay. I'm, I, I don't like that. She's taking up more space than me. Right. And I'm really big on like breaking down my own, um, egotistical thoughts. And that's what I did. I mean, I just ripped myself apart. I went to the depths of my core of like, what are things I hate about myself? And I learned how to sit with myself in silence. And so it's been, um, it's been three years since I started that job, uh, three years and a month. And I love myself so much. And essentially I stripped away. Well, part of the process was that I stripped away everything that was externally validating. Yeah. I mean, I, looked into friendships and I looked into patterns in my life and I was bullied a lot as a kid. I don't really have an answer. I think it was just because I'm me and I'm extroverted and loving and the girls hated that. And I was also brand new to the school. And so I I looked at these patterns in my life and I kind of like kept friends around that bullied me and I dated people that bullied me and they, and they, um, And I worked for bosses that bullied me. And I said, this is really interesting. I'm actually going to kill this pattern. I'm actually going to light this bridge on fire and never turn back. And I dropped so many people in my life, including um, maternal figures, including people that were blood. And it's, it's a really, it's a really a brave thing to do, um, which is to kind of look those patterns in their face and say, I will no longer continue to do this. I really had this belief that I had to make myself smaller to fit in this world. So I couldn't be too smart. You know, it's like the Barbie monologue, right? I I resonated with it so much. There's this belief that I couldn't be, I had to be smart, but not too smart to intimidate men. And I had to be extroverted, but not too much to be viewed as attention seeking. And I had to be down to earth, but not too much to be looked at as a hippie. And I kind of honestly just said, fuck that. 
No, yeah. like I'm going to build the person that I want to be. But the caveat is also I'm going to be the person that I needed as a kid. Like yeah. I'm going to be that mother figure that I needed as a kid growing up. And I'm going to give that to just anyone and everyone that needs that. That's incredible. I love that you took the time to self-reflect and really dig deep. I think a lot of the times people can be so scared to do that because they might be scared of what they find, right? Like that there might be a dark part in themselves that they don't want to acknowledge and that they're just going to push down and pretend isn't there. But I think what you said there, when you look that stuff in the face and recognize that you have these patterns that are holding you back from becoming who it is that you actually want to be and being the person, like you said, that you need, it can be an absolute game changer for just your self-confidence too, because you are finally becoming that person. And I love, I love that saying of, of you becoming the person that you needed. That was one of the things I was just actually making my vision board for this year. I know we're already a month in, but there's no better time to do it. And one of the quotes that I put on there was actually be the woman that you would look up to. And that resonates that. so much with me. It's like, be that person that you needed when you were a kid and show up for yourself the same way that you would have wanted somebody else to show up for you, because then you're going to get the absolute most out of it. Um, one of the yeah. other things, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Um, one of the rules that I used to tell my friends in dating is I would say, why do you pour so much into other people, but you don't pour that same love into yourself? Mm-hmm. So if you, if your partner came home and they wanted dinner, so you cook them dinner, but why would you get yourself something that's like fast foodier or, or, you know, something that didn't have the love and care that you would put in for someone else? And I really challenge people. I'm like, you know, you would be, you're so kind and you're so soft and you have so much space for other people. But then the way that you talk to yourself is like a bully. You know, why do we do that? And so, yeah, yeah, that's like just kind of to the point that you just said. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's something that I myself am definitely guilty of at times. Like I will, the way that I speak to myself, my partner tells me all the time, he's like, you are so brutal (laughs) to yourself. Like you don't deserve that. You cannot talk to yourself that way. So it's something that I'm constantly working on is, is the way that I talk to myself. I, I think we all would be so much better off if we spoke to ourselves as if we were speaking to our best friend. Because we only have, at the end of the day, you have yourself. You have to live with yourself for the rest of your life. You might as well treat yourself with kindness and respect and love because and honor all the things that you have been through in your past that have gotten you to where you are today. Show up for yourself and just know that you're worthy and of value and all of the things that you want to achieve are absolutely within your reach, especially when you start transitioning that way that you speak to yourself. It's so hard um, to believe that when you're like in the thick of it, you know, and you have all these motivational speakers, right? You know, like I respect David Goggins. He is of a different breed, but sometimes that can come off as toxic, um, overachieving, right? If, If you are feeling so low and so down, why would you go listen to someone that's running a hundred miles a day? You know, like I want you to say, I got out of bed today. I changed clothes today. I took a shower today. 
And there's still space to be proud of yourself for that. So it's also this game of comparison, right? Like we compare ourselves to people that are showing their best side on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. And I used to be that person. I used to only showcase the best side. And so much of my worth was wrapped up in other people's reactions to what I said and how I presented myself. And mm-hmm. it was exhausting because it was a, it was a lose-lose. And I, I have this really goofy, unserious side to me. I am just the biggest goober. I love to make people laugh. I am not embarrassed to make myself look silly in front of people. And I had this belief that in order to be successful, I had to kill that side of me. So when we look at the successful women that are portrayed in movies, okay, I want you to think scandal. I want you to think devil wears Prada. Um, I can't think of another example right now, but it's, it's women that are cold, right? They are cold and they are calculated and they are successful. And so that's what I wanted to be. You know, there was even, there was no world where I spent time or energy imagining a wedding for myself because I saw that as weakness. And I didn't allow myself to even consider love. Every person I dated before I turned 28, I would walk in and say, hi, I don't want to get married and I don't want to have kids. And the question is, did I want that? No, no, no. I don't know. I didn't know. What I knew was that statistically, women that get married and have kids have to give up their career. So what I meant was, I'm not willing to give up my career because I busted my ass to be here. Mm -hmm. And I had not met a partner at that point who would have treated me as an equal. And so therefore, I was willing to have the comfort of being with this person, but I knew that I would never sacrifice my career if they wanted to take it a step further. And, you know, that's crazy. I don't know how many other women think like that, but I, it took me, um, probably until the age of this year, 33 to realize that I was actually, I, I was attracting people that were emotionally unavailable because I was emotionally unavailable because I got uncomfortable talking about vulnerable things because I constantly shut down. And so they were just mirroring what I was lacking in, in my own personal life. And so part of that journey of kind of blowing my entire life up, changing my entire life plan, what I realized is that I am so empathetic And that is a strength that I used to look at as a weakness. And after kind of embracing my empathy, the level of people that come into my life are so much more intact with who I want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think that's really important because like you said, we attract what we give off. So it makes perfect sense that when you're in that space, you were attracting these people who were not emotionally available because you were also closed off. And it's it makes so much sense that now that you've opened yourself up and are just kind of owning who you are and showing up as you are, that the right people are now starting to come into your life. Um, something that I really want to touch on 
in terms of blowing up your life. We all, I think, grew up with this idea of living the American dream, right? You you alluded to it at the beginning where it's you get the job, you work your way up, you buy the house. Now you've got a mortgage. You better not lose your job. So talk to me about what you did when you left what was supposed to be your dream job and how that has served you going forward. Yeah. So when I quit that job, I went into another job that um, did not end well. And I ended up quitting and just freelancing from there. And freelancing is is hard and it's not um, stable. And, you know, you have to build your client list. And I said, okay, I'm not ready to step back into corporate America. So I know I, I know I can't control that I'm not ready because if one more person yells at me, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> so, Hey, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. Okay. So if I'm not going to step back into corporate America and I'm slowly starting to build up my clientele for my marketing company, what do I need to do? Well, I need to control my expenses. Okay. So what's my biggest expense? My mortgage. So I said, okay. I called my real estate agent and I said, uh, can you, let's find, let's try to find a renter. Like, I just want to see. So it took two months and I found a renter. I break even. I don't make any money. And for everyone that's going to yell at me about that. Okay. You LA rent prices are insane. I'm literally charging what it's worth. Like no one would pay more than what I'm paying for my mortgage. And that's, that's okay. That's a choice I made. Um, and I moved into a van and I now do van life full time. I've traveled all over New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado. Arizona honestly was the most surprising. Um, so freaking, I mean, mind blowing. And it's crazy because I wake up every day. Most of the times I sleep in a Walmart parking lot or a Planet Fitness parking lot. Before everyone judges me, I do van life by myself with my dog. I feel safest in populated areas with lights and cameras. Do I want to go sleep on BLM land because it's not government owned? Of course. But do I want to be in the middle of a desert? <laughs> Probably not. By yourself? So no. yeah. So that's what works best for me. And that's okay if people feel weird about that. Um, but I wake up every day with a sense of gratitude that I, I can't even explain it. It like brings tears to my eyes when I think about how grateful I am to live the life that I live now. I mean, I blew my life up. I rented my townhouse. I left everyone I knew in LA, which was my family, my best friends. And I said, I have to leave because if I stay, I was having very, very scary unhealthy mental thoughts. And I thought, okay, I can stay in this life to live a life for someone else, or I can create the life that I want to live. And so I did. I bought a van. I rescued my dog in July. Um, and she's my best friend and I love her with my whole heart. And I joke that I actually just travel from dog park to dog park. Um, and we have a whole routine. I mean, I wake up every day and we go for a walk. 
And then I have a full 5G network set up. Like I, I have the fastest Wi-Fi. I don't mess around. I do like three hours of work. We go for a hike. I do like three more hours of work. We go for a hike. I or I go to the dog park. I go to the gym. I come back. I work a little bit more. I make dinner. And honestly, it's embarrassing because I'm sleeping by like 8 p.m. or 8.30 most nights because I don't have a just TV. I don't have a distraction. There's like nothing to do. So I'm like, well, might as well get that 10 hours of sleep. Um, and I think people would be surprised to know how good I sleep in the back of a van in a Walmart parking lot. But y'all, I begin that nine plus hours of sleep. I begin like 99% score on my watch. Okay. So it's like really so nice. I know. And I think it's like, but what did I do? I took away so many external stressors that I could control, which I know is a privilege, right? It's a privilege that I am not married and I don't have kids. And I, you know, found someone to rent my place. Like I, I recognize those things. Um, but my stressors are now like, Hey, where am I going to park for the night? Ooh, I need to go get some more water. And it's really interesting because it comes down to a different level of stressor. If we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The the need, the bottom row is um, shelter, food, and water. And so it's almost like every day I have to consider these things, which would seem stressful, but it honestly, like it, it pulls my life into perspective to be like, wow. I'm just this little speck on this world and I want to make the biggest impact I can. And I, you know, I wake up in the middle of nowhere. There's this town called Showplow, Arizona. No one needs to go there. There's nothing going on. Right. I mean, I'm talking everyone that drew by me, drove by me, knew I was an outsider. That's how small it was. But I will be in the middle of this grocery store and just talk to this stranger or I'll talk to someone at the dog park. And I'm just making these connections with these humans and it just feels so real. And it's so cool because I get to have these real conversations that fill me up every day where I felt like previously I was living this life that was so filled with false identity. I was just like blowing hot air up everyone's asses all the time, because that was like, that's how you do it in corporate. Everyone works or walks around and no one makes mistakes and everyone's perfect and no one takes vacations and no one sleeps and everyone compares the lack of sleep and everyone compares how much work they do. And I got so caught up in that until I realized that it's actually okay if everyone looks at me as a failure, because I feel so grateful to be alive on this earth every day that I wake up. And I didn't feel that for so many years. That is, I just love that you took ownership over your happiness and got rid of all of the things that were not serving you. And now you're living this much more fulfilled life. So to anyone who's listening, who feels like they're stuck and living life for somebody else's expectations, what advice would you give them if they're not in the situation to, I guess, make the drastic change that you made? What are some more real, more, I guess, pointed things that they could do to be able to start living life for themselves rather than somebody else? Yeah. My suggestion is definitely not to blow your life up and move into a van. <laughs> That's not going to be for everyone. And I totally respect that. Um, 
sometimes I ask people, what, what makes you happy? And like, what do you genuinely enjoy? And I want you to really, really think about that. I want you to write a list of everything that brings you pure joy. There's this feeling, and I haven't been able to name it, but it's like the feeling that I get when I'm able to impact other people. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, you know, like tingles through my whole body, right? Like I was meant to be here in this moment to have this conversation. And if you were to find those moments in your day, what are they? Is it like helping people? Is it spending time with animals? Is it right? Whatever it is, is it like you love kids and what gives you that feeling? And then how could you add more of it into your life? Mm -hmm. And I understand that there's a lot of jobs out there. that are not going to allow you to have boundaries with work. So what are some ways that you can create boundaries with work in an economy that is incredibly scary right now? I'm also very aware that the economy is not the best. Everyone's talking the fact that we're in a recession, we're walking into a recession. You know, everyone's scared about losing their jobs. The way that I would help you feel empowered is how could you do something that you love that also creates a potential amount of income? I love freelancing. I love being able to talk to clients. I love creating content. Just caveat, I haven't made any money off that, but maybe one day I will. <laughs> um, I I consider doing Uber Eats. You know, I, I, I kind of have no ego when it comes to making money. Also, I've gone deep down like print demand. Okay, don't do that. Just, just I, I feel like everyone, everyone has attempted to sell something online through print demand um, because we all get that TikTok. It's like, you could make millions. And I'm like, I could. Um, but yeah, figure out what sparks joy. And if you, if there is a potential to make extra income off that, I love that. But also don't put that pressure on you. Um, you know, I love, love, love dogs. So I have a Rover account. I will walk anyone's dog. I'd be walking dogs for free. Okay. Um, you know, that's just an example of something that I love that, that lights me up. Um, I also suggest to just find that, that core group of people that will always give you that validation and that space to bring honest truths to the conversation. If you are in an environment where you feel psychologically unsafe or emotionally unsafe in your workplace, that is not okay. And my suggestion there would be to write everything down, dates, facts, times, names, but then also email it to yourself so that it is time stamped. When it's in the notes app, every time you edit it, the time goes away. So make sure that you're actually documenting those things so that you have that if down the line you ever choose to do something with that. And the the third thing I want to say is that I would spend time journaling. So I reflect on a lot of my old journal prompts and my answers, and it gives me so much hope to see how far I've grown from the person I was when I originally wrote those. And it's so interesting. A lot of my language was like, I hope this happens. I hope that X, Y, and Z. And now the way that I write is like, I'm in the moment. I'm so grateful for X. It's, I no longer live my life hoping 
for things to work out. It's like, it's either going to work out or it's not. And I know I'm going to put the effort in regardless. So if it doesn't work out, it's kind of like, um, my view is I always assume positive intent. So I have pitched companies and they have ghosted me and they have rejected me. And man, I've spent time doing all these things. And my reality is like, great. I made my proposal one step better. So like I learned something from that interview, from that conversation, from that founder. And so I just really try to assume positive intent in most of my life. Someone doesn't text me back. Someone doesn't call me back. It's like, I understand that they are busy. I understand that they, maybe they don't have the time or the space to talk to me and that's completely okay. And I try to give the same level of understanding that I give to other people. I try to turn that in on myself and give myself the same level of compassion and understanding and grace. So my suggestion would also be to journal and try to figure out those things that you might not like about someone else and to see if it's just a projection of what you don't like about yourself. Those are all really, really great and really tangible things for people to take away and actually do. So I love those. And I hope that people listening will lean into those and see what they do for you. I mean, if anything, just try them, right? And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But at least you've tried something new. And imagine if it does work for you, then you are going to be that much better off. So I have I have two final questions for you. You've talked a lot about how you want to just leave the greatest impact that you can. So what does that look like to you? So when you're gone, what impact do you want to have made? Yeah, I think that I have this superpower of making, of helping people feel really, really good about themselves. I love to compliment. I will, if I'm driving down the street and I see someone that really looks like they spend a lot of effort putting together, putting themselves together, I will like roll down the window and yell a compliment at them. <laughs> I, I just be that. yelling compliment. Like, you look amazing today. And it's that feeling of seeing someone's entire face like lift up. And, you know, I can tell when people like attempt to, you know, or I can tell when people put themselves together and at the dog park, I always say, wow, you look really nice. Your outfit looks really great. I want to be remembered as someone that made people feel warm, fuzzy, and safe uh, in any aspect. If we're friends, if we're acquaintances, if you listen to this podcast, if you listen to my podcast, like in any regard, I want to be a safe place that people can turn to. People DM me a lot and, you know, they talk to me about work and, and toxic stuff. And, um, if people spend a lot of time writing me a long DM, I will make sure that I respond in the same energy that they gave me. I don't say, okay, or give them a heart. And sometimes it takes me a while to respond because I want to make sure I have the energy to give them a thoughtful response back. And I'm not just saying, oh, cool. You know, if someone pours their heart out to me and tells me a part of their story, I want to make sure I have space to receive that. And so, yeah, my goal is to leave this earth making as many people feel amazing about themselves as possible. I think that's an amazing goal. And why not? Right? Like, who doesn't want to make people feel good and just brighten their day? And I can guarantee those people that you have shouted at. When you're driving, I bet you it turned their entire day around if they were having a not so great day or if they were having a great day, I can guarantee they probably went home to their friend or their partner and were like, oh my gosh, just some random person just shouted at me in the middle of the street. You know what I mean? Like 
those kind types of little things can make such a big difference for people. So why not do them as much as we can? Yeah. My final question for you is what summit are you currently chasing? Ooh, I love this question. I think I will always be chasing balance. I am so driven and I definitely have an addictive personality and my addiction has always been work, which is socially acceptable. And if it's not work, it's exercise. I competed in CrossFit for 10 years. I probably trained four to five hours a day. I mean, definitely overkill. And so I am always trying to figure out how to create more balance in my life and how to, how to feel valuable while also having boundaries. Mm -hmm. As you know, with freelancing, especially marketing, there's this feeling that I have to sell my soul. I have to give you my entire soul. Even if this company's paying a dollar and this company's paying five, that's a five X difference, but I'm treating both clients the same. So why is that? In in a sense, I'm underselling myself because this 1X client is getting the results and the same energy as this 5X client. And so I have to really work on having better boundaries with my worth and my value when I'm pitching myself and how to create more balance. Because the thing is, every time someone emails me, I'm like, yeah, I have availability. Of course I do. Right. Because why? It's like I have this fear mindset that I might not have money one day. But again, that is this fear that I am letting a, I'm letting that drive my life. So if that's gonna if fear is gonna be in the driver's seat, I'm gonna be freaking out the whole time and I'm again just creating my own drama. So I pause and I say, Do I have space for this project? Because we also know, well, we can pitch I, and then I lie to myself. I'm like, I might as well just pitch them and see if they say yes. And then, okay, well, if they say, you know, and it's like, no, calm down. Um, and so, yeah, just creating more balance and boundaries around maintaining a balance. Awesome. Chrissy, where can people find you? Tell us about your podcast and where they can find you on socials. Yeah. So I have a podcast on it's Spotify, Apple, all of them. It's called the glass ceiling podcast. And we talk all things work trauma and toxic workplaces. And then I also, you can find me on TikTok at work trauma podcast. Um, and so I'm on both of those platforms. I have not scaled to other platforms yet. And maybe when I have more time, I will. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chrissy. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. This was so much fun. I really, really enjoyed being on Voice of Impact, and I hope that all the listeners liked it. And that wraps up another episode of Voices of Impact. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you found value in our conversation, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our channel. For more inspiring stories and actionable advice, make sure to hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts and takeaways, so please leave us a comment below. And remember, no matter where you are on your journey, you have the power to climb higher and chase your summit. Until next time, Summit Chasers, keep pushing forward and stay inspired.